Man, it's so great to be with you today. I missed you this week, and uh, I'm so excited to have church together with you. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to uh, Numbers chapter 14, that's what we'll be today. You know, normally I stay about three to five weeks ahead on sermons because we've got a lot of things that go into this. We've got graphics and devotions and, and all sorts of uh, different notes and things like that. And uh, in the middle of May, I was uh, praying and thinking about what God wanted our church to know right now in this midst of this crisis in this weird time. And I kept coming back to these two words, which is the, t- the title of this series, what now? What now? What are we going to do now? God laid these three points on my heart. To pray for guidance, to ask the hard questions, and then today what we're going to talk about is don't look back. Pray for guidance, ask the hard questions, and don't look back. You know, I I finished this sermon on June 8th, and uh, I've been waiting to get to this point. Because this is such a big, big thing that we need to do as a church. In this uh, series, we've talked about the temptation to dwell on the question, when will things get back to normal? When can we just go back to how things were? And we talked about how we shouldn't really waste time longing to go back to how things were, but praying instead for guidance with this prayer, what now, Lord, what now? Now that you've brought us to this place, not how can we go back to where we were, but Where do we need to go now? And last week we decided we needed to, after praying, ask some hard questions about ourselves and and some uncomfortable questions. Because in these times of turmoil and crisis, that exposes some cracks in our lives and we ought not to ignore those things. When there's friction and tension, that is an indication that something is wrong and we cannot just ignore it and we can't. Ignore the fact that maybe, just maybe, we are what's wrong. Maybe I am the problem. We saw that with David last week. And the wise thing for us to do is ask ourselves some questions. If we've got conflict, asking ourselves, God, am I the one that is in the wrong? We need to investigate that. We talked about some potential questions we need to ask. Is this who I want to be financially? Is this who I want to be relationally? Is this who I want to be personally? How's my worldview holding up through this crisis? And lastly, is this who we want to be as a church? Two years from now, as a church, what will we have wished we would have done? Now is the time to make those changes. Because we don't want to waste this time. And waste this uh, time of reflection. We don't want to waste this pain. Pray for guidance. Ask the hard questions then don't look back. You know, if you've uh, read through the Bible, you've seen that the people of Israel had that problem with looking back to how things were. And next week we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to rewind a little bit next week and talk about how God brought Israel through all these obstacles that when he led them out of slavery in Egypt. God had parted the Red Sea and he led them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. He was so present with them. They knew what they were supposed to do. God was leading and guiding them every step of the way. But even after all God had done, after all they had been through, they still looked back to Egypt and how things were. 
God led them all the way up to the land that he had promised to give them. This was the destination, the reason that they had left Egypt. They're right there on the cusp of it. But the spies, then they came back and said, hey, look, there's giants in the land and they're going to kill us and we've got problems. But really, if you boil it down, what they were really saying is these giants that they could see were bigger in their hearts, in their minds, than the God that they couldn't see. See, they'd been through much and they survived so long of a journey through the wilderness. And it was obvious that this is where God was leading them. This is what God wanted them to do. But when they got where they needed to go, they got scared. They got uncomfortable. They didn't want to step forward. They saw more and more problems and hurdles. They said, look, okay, we're out here in the wilderness and there's these giants and the obstacles in front of us at the destination. What do we do now? Numbers 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. See, things are not turning out like they expected They were promised milk and honey, and now they got wilderness and giants instead. And their patience had run out. They don't want to wait any longer. And they say, let's fire Moses, let's pick a new leader, and then let's get out of here. They were ready to go back to where they came from. To them, slavery in Egypt was looking pretty good right now. And this wasn't the only time they looked back towards Egypt. Before they got to this point, God had fed them with manna from heaven while they were in the the wilderness bread from heaven think about that that's an amazing miraculous thing how much more proof do you need that god is taking care of you but then they started craving other stuff stuff they used to have and they were bored with eating the same old thing over and over again numbers 11 verse 5 says now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving And the people of Israel wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Have you ever been among the rabble? I love how it says that. The rabble, the people that complain and grumble, throw people under the bus and criticize people. But see here, these people took their eyes off the mission and the purpose. And this rabble said, I'm tired of bread. I want meat. I want fish. I want cucumbers, melons, onions, garlic. I want these things that I had before. I like the way it was before. Let's go back to there. Now look, if I get to the point where I start craving cucumbers, things are pretty bad. I don't have anything against cucumbers necessarily, but they're just kind of always around. And that's the only time I ever really eat them. And anybody else up there in 
Facebook world, you got a different opinion about that. Change my mind that cucumbers are bland. Drop it in the comments if you got a different idea about that. But if I start looking back to those things, God was feeding them with manna from heaven and they say, but I want that other thing. God brought these people their freedom. He personally had showed them what to do and where to go. God was working. God was doing things. He gave them water from rocks and manna from heaven, but they still found a reason to complain. They still looked back and said, I wish it was like it was, ignoring all the problems that were back there. Isn't that so much like us? Man, things were better when I was a kid. Were they really? Things were better five years ago. Things were better last year. We forget all of the problems that went along with that, and we remember the things that we missed that we had, and not realizing that God has brought us to this point. And God is going to bring us to the next point. You've probably never seen a, uh, a church that's like that at all, right? Get a group of complainers that can't get around the vision of the church, the vision where uh, the leadership of the church believes God's leading them. That's never happened in a church before, right? And it's not often what the what that people have a problem with. We can normally agree on the what, the gospel, you know. It's the how. People say they want to reach the community, but they don't want to do what it takes to get there. People say they want to uh, reach the next generation, but they don't want to change. And when the rubber meets the road, they want what they had. They agree that we should try and reach people with the gospel, but they don't agree with doing it that way. This wasn't how we used to do it. That's what we said in week one, though. Our mission is not to go back. It's to love God and love people. And how do we do that best right now? How can we effectively do that with this people that we have in this community, in this world right now? How can we reach the 30-year-old that's never, ever stepped into a church? How can we reach a 22-year-old that came to Sunday school as a kid but doesn't know about this God thing anymore? How do we make sure and do our best to make sure that 13-year-old doesn't leave church when they're 18? And you might say, well, what about me? What about me? What about what I think and what I want? And I hear you. It's pretty self-centered, but I get it. As for me, though, I've decided that I want this church to last far beyond me. And if, if we don't reach the next generation, then we won't be here in 20 years. If you look at the majority of the present leaders in this church at CBC, they're between the age of 25 and 45, and they became serious about their faith when they were teens and in their early 20s. All that we need to do as a church to fade into oblivion is to miss out on one generation. And then after that, it's just a matter of time. Those that have been around churches have seen it happen. Once thriving churches that are no longer around. They took their eyes off the mission, off the reason, and they instead became focused on the method. And then they missed out on reaching the people around them because they became obsessed with looking back. Nobody's talking about changing God's word or changing the, me uh, the message but they wouldn't adapt the method. And I think God's given us a unique opportunity right now in this moment to stop fighting about the how 
Because things are going to look different in the future anyway. Things are going to look weird. I don't know when we're going to get 220 people back into this church building. When's that going to happen? I don't know. And to be honest, I'm not even asking that question anymore. The question I want to know is how do we get 220 people on fire for spreading the gospel to live it out in their neighborhood, to live it out on the streets and to be the church God wants us to be, not just attend a church, but to live out the gospel. How do we do that? And honestly, that's the question we should have been asking all along. Not how do we get more people to come attend an event, but how do we get more people to join following Jesus and to live out the fruits of the Spirit and to love God and to love people more than anything else, more than a way that we do things. We can't become obsessed with looking back. We can't keep looking back because it slows us down. It utterly exhausts me to have those conversations. I've talked to many pastors and one thing, uh, you know, across the nation, one thing that's common when they talk about what they're going through and what they're struggling with is they'll tell you is the thing that discourages them and distracts them more than anything else is when people have these conversations about how things were better than when they were done their way. Luke 9, 62, Jesus said to them, no one that puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus says this phrase to a man that that wanted to follow Jesus, but first he wanted to go and say goodbye to his parents. That seems normal, right? That seems like an okay thing to do. And Jesus kind of comes off a little harsh right there. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, if you're worried about looking back to what you have, if you're homesick for something else, if your heart is really belongs somewhere else, then this whole thing of following me is not going to work out. I'm either the most important thing or I'm not important. Either I'm the priority list, the whole thing, or I'm not even on it. And that's what we get when we serve Jesus half-heartedly. The Bible tells us we cannot serve two masters. What are the things that you care about the most? What are the things that you, uh, you know, get your, your juices pumping more than anything else? Jesus says the only thing that we get from looking back is crooked lines. No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom. Maybe you're looking back to what you had before you got saved and and, and you're longing for a little bit of fun to blow off steam and to do the things that you used to do and and you remember back at how things were and right now you're going through a struggle and you kind of look back fondly at those parties and at that promiscuousness and the, the love that you found in those things and you wonder maybe things were better back then. Maybe you could live for yourself for just a little while. But when you ask those hard questions, you know those aren't the answers. When you ask questions about your relation, you know that's not not what's going to fix it. When I was a teenager in, in camp, youth camp, they told us, one of the preachers says, never question 
in the dark what God told you in the light. When you're praying for guidance and you're asking these hard questions, when God tells you something, God moves, when things get hard and you can't see the future and you can't see the next step, that's not the time to question what God told you. See, God takes this looking back thing seriously. Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back to what she had instead of looking towards the future where God was taking them. And Jesus says, look, if you're going to take your eyes off of me to long for other things, he says you're not a good follower. Recently, I started working towards another uh, master's, this time in leadership. And you know, the funny thing is, is we're taking this, you know, doing this master's class on leadership. And all the professor wants to talk about is how to be a good follower. He says, a good leader is a good follower. And Jesus was the ultimate follower. Jesus put down his will for the will of the Father. He followed God all the way up to the cross. The professor says leaders, a leader is just a follower with followers. That's what I want to be. I just want to follow Jesus. I just want to follow his will. I just want to keep my eyes on the mission and on the prize and on priorities But the professor also gave us five types of bad followers. Followers that we don't want to be like. The first follower, a bad type of follower that we don't want to be is this. Whatever followers. That's what he calls them. These followers are not engaged at all. And they want peace more than they want to work toward the common goal. And they they will just go with the flow. And even do things that maybe aren't the right thing to do because they don't want peace to stand up, because that's hard. They never really buy into the mission. And they really, in the end, they don't make much difference at all. They don't want to do anything that rocks the boat. That's the first one, the whatever followers. The second one is mediocre followers. This person does the bare minimum to get by. They have no heart, no passion. Maybe at work, you know someone like that. I know I've I've probably been that person at times, you know, and I worked at Chuck E. Cheese or at Sears Automotive. I just was doing enough to get by. But I don't want to be that type of follower of Christ. Thirdly, you've got angry followers. These followers hold something against the person that they're following with no intention of forgiving, making it right, or ever letting it go. They're just resigned to the fact that they're just going to be angry followers. Four is the pseudo-follower. These people give an outward appearance of following toward the common goal, but they actually aren't following at all. They give the impression to the leader that they're their friend and their helper, but when they aren't around, they degrade and diminish their character and credibility. They say one thing to the leader's face, but lead in another direction when the leader isn't around. You see this a lot in sports teams, right? You, you add a certain personality into a basketball team or a football team and, and all they want to do is lead in a different direction and they degrade the coach and the star player. And the results are normally devastating to the mission. That's what ends up falling by the wayside. And lastly is the maintenance follower. This person needs constant attention and direction and sometimes creates more work than they actually help. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want to be any of those types of followers. You've probably seen some of those at the places that you work or are used to work. It does not make a good culture. Or maybe you've even been that type of follower at some point. But I don't know about you, but I long to be different than that. I want to build unity. I want to bring people together towards the mission. I want to radically forgive people and leave, pe- leave things in the past. I want to be fully engaged on where God is leading us. I want to forget those things behind and press towards the mark of the high calling, the goal that God has given us. I want to have a passion and a heart. I don't want to go through the motions. I want to be motivated by the mission and push towards the common goal together. See, we cannot be followers of God while we continually look back. The New Testament church had to get over being a stickler about all the old laws or the foods that they couldn't eat. Man, that must have been a hard transition, right? All of a sudden, the way that they bathed and the circumcision, all those things that they were just so to the T about, no longer God was using those things. That wasn't what God was doing anymore. God was doing a new thing and they needed, the only way the church was going to succeed is if they got on board with those new things. I want to dare you to ask the question like I've been asking myself. Pray this prayer. Because I don't know what the future holds for this church. I don't know what the future holds for the church in America. But I think the only way that we can continue to push forward is if we ask the question, what now? God, what now? God, we've got all these problems. We've got civil unrest. We still have a pandemic, despite what some people might say to you. We might even go into a recession at some point. So God, what do we do now? We have to open our eyes to the facts that things are going to be different. So we can either get on board with what God wants to do now and ask the hard questions about what God wants to do in our lives, in our church Or we can fade into oblivion. Life is change. In the business world, they tell you adapt or die. You remember Kodak? That was a big company, even just 15 or 20 years ago. Everybody else was going digital, and they sold film. And that was a problem. And they didn't adapt. There was a moment, there was a minute where they could have said, hey, we got to abandon what we're doing here because it's not working anymore. And we got to find what will work so that we can continue to do the mission of the company, to provide this service, to provide jobs for people. And they had an opportunity. Church, I believe we're at one of those moments right now. I don't have all the answers. I, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't have any answers. But what I do, I know we need the Lord We need to pray harder maybe than we've ever prayed before. We need to look inside of ourselves and say, God, what needs to change? And then when God leads us, we need to decide what type of follower we're going to be. We could be the type of follower, like we mentioned, or we can decide I'm not going to look back. I'm going to get on page with the mission I'm not going to worry about the method because I don't even know what types of methods are going to work in this new world that we're living in right now. 
What new way does God want us to gather and grow and give together? God, what new way do you want us to love God and love people? How can we fulfill the mission? Are we ready to stop looking back and start instead thinking about the next generation? Thinking about our kids and our grandkids. How do we make sure that in two years, in five years, in 10 years, in 50 years, that we as a church are still working towards loving God, loving people, and pushing the gospel into the streets? How do we set them up to succeed past us? See, the past and the future, they really don't even exist. They're just ideas. The only thing that we can change is right now. So God, what now? What now? What do you want us to do? Help us to have those uncomfortable conversations. And then when we get a direction and we get a purpose, instead of just trying to direct it our way and to pull things in our direction, let us decide not to look back. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. When God decides to change your finances, hey, don't, when things get tight, when things get hard, don't question what God told you when you ask those hard questions. When your relationship, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, hey, don't ignore the lessons that God has taught you over the last three and a half months. In your personal life, these these times where your faith has been shaken, that has been a rallying cry that God has been working in your life. Don't ignore it and don't go back. Let's commit to continue to pray for guidance, ask the hard questions, and let's commit together to stop looking back. Because when we look back, we lose momentum. When we look back, we take our eyes off where we're going. When we look back, we are not fit for the kingdom. Let's instead be the type of follower that Jesus modeled for us. Lord, help us. Help us to hear this question ringing in our ears. What now, Lord? What do you want us to do now? God, should we go to the right? Should we go to the left? God, what do your people need? What does this community need? What now, God? What now?